heavily, I'm a clown. This episode of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber podcast is sponsored by WTFHappenedIn1971.com. The economics meme taking the world by storm where all of us are trying to find out the answer to what the heck happened in 1971. WTF 1971 also has a merch store now. You can find it at WTF-1971.creator-spring.com. I'll post a link to that down in the show notes if you want to check it out. Thanks for the support. Uh... We'll have a cold open this time on uh, the pod version. Okay, cool. Uh, let's see if I go here. So, uh, really interesting stuff happened in the mempool this week, Colin. Um, like, I mean, listen, we got we have, like historic lows right now. There's just almost nothing in the mempool. So that's the uh, the three month view, I believe. But uh, let's pop over to the one week. Some interesting stuff going on over here as well. You see this giant spike of purple. Um, the going theory is that somebody was uh, consolidating a ton of transactions because the mempool was so low. Uh, and we did see a little bit more activity pick up after that. Um, but you can see this giant band of red. That's the one sat per byte transactions. Uh, it looks like we are eating well into that. Uh, so for this weekend, folks, it's a fantastic weekend to open up some lighting channels, consolidate some UTXOs, or maybe even get some multi-sig set up because it looks like one sat per byte transactions will clear all weekend long. Um, that's, uh, I think that's it for the Munpool update today. Uh, I did not expect to see that. I know, right? That's wild. Crazy. <laughs> All right. Um, if you want to jump right into the topics here, uh, the first one I had was this Nidig thing keeps popping up. Um, oh, Nidig. Nidig's hiring? Well, so, like, yeah, Nidig's hiring. Um, so I always like to call attention whenever I see Bitcoin or jobs because it's, it's a question I see a lot when I'm talking to new folks that are really excited about Bitcoin. They're like, well, how do I get into it? Well, Bitcoinerjobs.co is a website, not .com, mind you, it's .co. And apparently they have jobs for, uh, and, and NIDIG right now, but they have uh, a ton of jobs, so. Are you considering a career change, Ben? No, um, I just like to, to get on the horn and tell people about the opportunities that are available. But NIDIG, if folks aren't familiar, um, they, you know, because we, we, we saw this come out this this year that NIDIG is like plugging into all these banking networks. It's gonna make it um, easy for lots of people to hold Bitcoin in their accounts. And we're starting to see like, rumors and kind of rumblings coming out that they're connecting with this service and that service, which is going to open up another 100 million accounts or whatever. So uh, it's pretty bullish, I think. There's a lot of Bitcoin companies hiring right now. It's, it's yeah. mostly software engineers, but there are also a lot of companies hiring like customer relations or like operational managers, um, designers, like just all across the board. There's a lot of jobs. It's pretty cool. You had to go out and get them, guys. They're not gonna, yeah, yeah. not gonna find you. <laughs> yeah, most of you are not gonna get jobs memeing for strike. So right. maybe come up with a different game plan. I think that's an oversaturated market at this point, yeah. Colin. <laughs> I, I think strike has met its uh, meme quotas. Yes, and speaking of meme quotas, um, Elon Musk is is back in the scene. Uh, apparently, that he he had this pretty funny back and forth with Jack Dorsey on Twitter. Did you see this, Colin? I saw part of it, man. I have I have Musk blocked, so mm. I don't really. I tune these people out. 
because you know time and money absolutely and that's totally fair and I, I guess I'm interested in this because Jack is pretty pretty damn orange pilled. He does seems to care about Bitcoin because he thinks it's good for human freedom. He does think it's going to be good for the world. Uh, whether Elon is really just on this um, quest to get more um, carbon credits and stuff from the government and just cares about how he looks at the government, or if he is actually on an intellectual quest, uh, I think that would become more obvious if he actually sat down with Jack Dorsey at this event with uh, with Steve Lee and and discussed Bitcoin. Um, from more likely, stuff. he's actually just retarded. Yeah, that's very possible, Colin. You know, that is something we are considering, but at least that thing is happening. Uh, so I just wanted to call attention to that. Yeah. I don't know, though. I mean, it's interesting that it's Jack Dorsey, of all people, because <clears throat> I'm under the impression that Elon already had a conversation like this behind closed doors with uh, Michael Saylor. Mm. And I don't, you know, I don't I don't spend a ton of time listening to Jack Dorsey. I don't really, I don't really know what he's all about, I'll be honest. I listened to, to him on TFTC, um, and I'm skeptical, you know, like, I'm, I'm skeptical of Jack Dorsey. I... I think that a lot of the things that go on at Twitter are not his doing, um, <clears throat> but I'm still skeptical of Jake Dorsey. And yeah, that's fair. I would have. I, I just feel like you know if, if you're gonna try to orange pill someone, Michael Saylor's the guy, and you know we don't know what was said between Saylor and Elon. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we don't know the extent of their relationship. Maybe they didn't really talk much at all. Um, but if you recall that that tweet exchange. Uh, with Elon and Saylor talking about, you know, discussing extremely large transactions. Shortly after that, Tesla added Bitcoin to their balance sheet. So I have to assume that there was some sort of conversation there. Um, <clears throat> and if Saylor couldn't do it, what is Dorsey going to say? I mean, I guess, um, I, see, I would say, like, Dorsey takes more of the humanist angle, but mm-hmm. I don't even know that that's true because I feel like Saylor focuses on that a lot as well. So, um you know, certainly I'm not saying, oh, well, Jack Dorsey has no right to talk to Elon Musk. Uh, Saylor already did it. No, I'm just I'm just uh, a little skeptical, that's all. My hopes are not high. For, for sure, and I think we should keep them very low. I just, I, it, for me, I'm more curious to see either, you know, what he'll let slip or, or maybe he can actually uh, elaborate on, like, what his real position is, right? Like, and you can maybe kind of read between the lines. I, I'm interested to see them talk, that's all. Hmm. Uh, I just find this stuff fascinating, but... You're right. Not that big a deal. Who who cares? Bitcoin has no leaders, no gods, no kings, uh, as Dan Hale put it. Um, so I don't know. Do you want to get into inflation? We have a few items on inflation here. Um, well, before we talk about that, I mean, I, I don't know a whole lot about what's going on with the whole China thing. <clears throat> I know there's like been a lot of sure. reports that the, we're, we're looking at it. I guess you had the difficulty adjustment thing on there, right? But yep. that's coming from allegedly miners leaving China, shutting down, closing up shop, liquidating rigs or moving rigs. Um, and people are <clears throat> speculating. And, and that's another crazy thing, too, with how much hash rate we've seen fall off, how clear the mempool is, right? It's really strange. Um, so we're expecting a huge downwards difficulty adjustment. Um, close to the max that you can get, which is interesting. I did not even know that there was a max. Um, it's like 25% or it's like 4, yes. 4x or something like that. I don't know. And, um, you know, I don't I don't think... It, it's certainly interesting to watch. Like, it's, it's uh, definitely a large demographic shift in terms of, like, what... 
what part of the world controls so much of the hash rate. Um, that profit margin that existed, you know, with the hash rate at the level that it was, we're going to see that uh, go somewhere else for sure. Like somebody's going to come buy those miners and pick up that slack, whether it be other Southeast Asian countries or, um, you know, even if people have to smuggle some of those rigs out of China, like if the government doesn't want them sold off and exported, um, we're going to see somebody come in and, and plug those things in because it's profitable to do it. Yeah, and it's so again we we like you kind of alluded to we only know so much about what's coming out of china um i do think there is a real crackdown on mining i do think a lot of miners are leaving we've seen we've heard this i've been talking to miners i've heard this from them talking to their friends in china we've seen pictures of people actually packing up miner and machines we've seen them moving over um i've talked to folks in the united states that said they've seen a lot more supply come on i mean like if you're buying miners like retail, it's like two years out, right? Like to just to get the delivery on the miner if you want to get it at MSR, MSRP. Um, but we're seeing secondary markets actually start having more supply. Um, you know, market prices are coming down for these things. Like I'm talking was at like around 14,000 for, I think it's the S9, don't quote me on this stuff, but like it's down to like five grand now or four grand. So it's like huge, huge, huge changes in the market. And so I think there's at least some truth to this. I'm not saying every single miner in, in China is definitely packing up, but we are seeing the hash rate move out. Ultimately, that's amazing for the narrative, right? Because this is like one of the biggest, oh, but China controls, you know, Bitcoin mine. And like, obviously, like that's kind of gone out the window now. It's more evenly distributed. That's better. Um, I, I think it sucks from a free market standpoint because there's a lot of cheap energy in China. Um, but it also, it sucks for China themselves, right? Because they're just throwing this money away. They could have used it for tax revenue. Um, they could have, you know, actually uh, capitalized on this overbuilt um, renewable energy that they mostly had. Um, but, you know, a lot of that was on coal too. So they're getting rid of all that coal. Hopefully stuff at some of these, you know, miners come to the United States where we, you know, we do embrace freedom somewhat. We can get some of them online there. And some of them will go to, you know, these geothermal and other places, volcano mining, who knows what. Uh, I, I think it's ultimately really good for, for Bitcoin. It's also really good, you know, as Nick Carter pointed out, how this giant migration where 50% of the hash rate is going to come offline and the, the network just keeps on ticking. It's, uh, it's amazing. And, and you mentioned really quickly the the mempool going down that that's kind of kind of weird i mean for this price action the mempool coming down like that is is really not um out of the ordinary at all it's, it's yeah. kind of to be expected yeah. so. <clears throat> well the the water cooler talk in my office which is where i go to get all of my best takes on what's going on in uh crypto um <laughs> is that the reason the price is going down is because china banned crypto oh right so, right um and and that's that's exactly what's causing i guess in tangentially that's what's causing the mempool to be empty is the fact that china banned crypto so um now you know and the more you know the less you don't know so um, should we just pack it up is that what <laughs> i i have this dream in the future where we have like all these silly little pre sliced segments on this show and one of them is which i tell everyone the the daily or the weekly office water cooler talk on cryptocurrency because i hear a lot of it and it's always string them all together yeah um <laughs> oh and i want to do another one called the misadventures of no coiners <laughs> oh okay what, yeah. what is that you, well okay so that? before we get into that i do just want to say on the okay. mining thing um i have like a little bit of a contrarian view on this okay. i didn't think 
because we know all right first of all the narrative that oh china controls bitcoin because they have all the hash, they have 75 percent of the hash power or whatever was we know that that's wrong right it's because wrong, yeah. most of that hash power was from pools mining is way more distributed than that and and we're seeing it now right we're seeing like a 25 percent downward difficulty adjustment or whatever um my guess i i don't know i'd, I'd have to be pulling a number out of my ass to guess how much hash power china actually controls but i don't think it was like a majority um who i don't know what the number is but you know maybe i'm wrong i don't know but <clears throat> i don't think it was necessarily a bad thing that there was such a large amount of hash power in china not saying i like the chinese government i i poop on the ccp all the time they're terrible um but it that type of power dynamic could potentially serve keeping the rest of the world in check really anybody that's not directly in lockstep with china in geopolitical and economic policy um just the fact that they had a stake in the bitcoin network i kind of thought was a good thing and you know maybe maybe i'm overplaying the importance of that um i'm concerned about all of the power or all of the hash power coming to the west just because the west actually cares a lot about things like um climate change narratives i don't really get the feeling that the ccp does i think that they play that in their best interest at the geopolitical level um but a lot there's a lot of extremely sincere certainly like sincerely um involved activists like in the west and in like in business and in politics that have climate concerns at the forefront of their narratives right so I'm, I'm, I, I kind of thought maybe hash power in China might be immune to that um, because at the end of the day, like we're all capitalists, whether you want to admit it or not. China's always been a capitalist country. It's just their constituency has had to be live under the um, horrible, horrible communist regime that they live under, right? But their country is capitalist because it has to be to survive. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. Just it's my little contrarian take there. Okay, I see your contrarian take, and I would kind of also push back on this whole thing because, like, having you know 40, 50 percent of the hash power in your country doesn't mean you control the network. I think that's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. But because so many, so few people understand that, just having the narrative shift that they don't have it anymore, I think is ultimately like beneficial to people who haven't done their research because they can't point to this one thing anymore that they think that they know. I, that that was my point, but I, I'm not really disagreeing with anything you said. That, there, I think. that is a good point, and I, I haven't really even thought about it like that because um, I don't really care about those people's opinions. So, <laughs> well, you know, I mean, ultimately, uh, I, I think that Bitcoin mining is ruthlessly capitalistic, right? Like the network is ruthlessly capitalistic. Right. So I, I'm sure that wherever the free market does prevail, you know, in the few places in this world that, that there are, there are room for, for the free market to, to win, it, it will work itself out. Yeah. So I'm not yeah, worried about yeah. Uh, recommended reading on that subject, guys, uh, Anthony Sutton's Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution or um, Frank Dicotter's three-part series on um, the Chinese Communist Revolution called The Tragedy of Liberation. Those books will give you a really good insight to how, at the government level, um, they're still capitalist countries, but all of the people, all the constituents, are living under the horrible, horrible, repressive communism. Uh, but to be, to be 
to survive and to compete at the nation state level, the countries have to still be capitalist. And even even the Bolsheviks, like, and and uh, Anthony Sutton talks a lot about in the Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution how having a captive constituency like the Bolsheviks did was extremely profitable for Western crony capitalists, particularly the bankers. I would highly recommend his book. Um, I I really almost put this on the list, but I didn't put it on the list. But now Mr. Harry Lasagna is calling us out in the chat. So I feel like we should at least mention it and then quickly move on. John McAfee is dead. Um, Rip, I guess, uh, you know, I just, the only quote I can really think of here is Hunter S. Thompson. Um, he was a uh, too weird to live, too rare to die kind of person. Um, I, I don't know, good riddance to this shitty, you know, shitcoin scammer, but like also he was kind of entertaining, I guess. <laughs> There's a lot you could say about McAfee, right? I mean, he was an eccentric. I think we could all agree that McAfee yeah. was an eccentric. Um, he had a very interesting life just fraught with a lot of conspiracy and allegations of criminal conduct uh a questionable career you know he was very wealthy he like he did very well for himself in life but you'd have to ask the question you know go go back and how many people know that like mcafee mostly made his fortune by going on television telling people if they that there were extremely super advanced viruses coming that were going to shut down you know the global computer infrastructure if they didn't buy and install McAfee antivirus. Um, I don't know. Probably some people know that, but a lot of people lose track of that. And, you know, at the end of the day, like who McAfee kind of became after he moved away from working primarily in antivirus, he was a super smart guy. Don't get me wrong. Very, very smart man. Uh, but he knew how to play people. He knew how to manipulate people. He was a hype man. Don't forget, like he was running for president uh, at one point in time. He was pump and dumping shit coins. Like, just the type of person who was willing, he literally said he would eat his own dick if Bitcoin didn't reach a million dollars by 2020. And, yes. uh, spoiler, he didn't ever eat his dick. Um, <laughs> it's, I'm skeptical because you kind of have to be skeptical of anything that McAfee claimed or said or did. Even, like, the whole death thing, I have to kind of just be like, I don't know. And I'll probably never know. Like, I have no idea. Maybe there is a McAfee dead man switch, but... Um, I'm skeptical. Like I'm it's, skeptical of any of that. It's all wild ass speculation. I'm, I'm, yeah, and I'm skeptical <laughs> of any narratives that like, oh, he didn't kill himself, or oh, he did kill himself. I'm just skeptical. Like I'm just like, I don't know. Loose cannon. Who knows? All equally viable. All right. Should we get into inflation? It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about this. And then, and then we'll get your misadventures later. Um, so we have three items on here that are inflation. I, I wrote Biden printer go burr. Uh, and the reason I did this is just, I mean, I, I know this is not really anything new that Biden's spending more money, but like what we are doing as as a country, as a society is deficit spending. OK, and this is the particular financial and fiscal tool that does uh, it does precipitate inflation. OK, like deficit spending is how you get inflation, you know, like credit expansion. Yes, that as well. But like deficit spending specifically that's what we're doing i mean there's there's no way they're going to come up with extra trillions of tax receipts this year um so in, inflation is coming um it you know and it's already kind of here so this is the the next thing that i had on the list um I, unless you wanted to quickly opine on that particular point colin um well so further down on, on our topic list i put uh implicit debt default uh yes. our, our boy dylan has been writing that newsletter over for Bitcoin Magazine and his most recent post, or I guess it was from yesterday, 
I don't know, I think he does it daily. So maybe if you put one out today, right? So from yesterday, he wrote basically a piece talking about the difference between implicit and explicit defaults, like debt defaults, and how the majority of defaults that we've seen in the last century have been implicit rather than explicit, meaning that the government doesn't say, oh, guys, sorry, we're broke. We're not going to pay back all that debt that we owe. Um, they've had more internal implicit sort of roundabout ways of declaring bankruptcy, quote unquote, and having this massive monetary shift uh, that sort of pivots around like the the insolvency problem, right? Like we saw with 1971, like we saw with 1933. Um, and he's arguing, right, that, that that's kind of what we're seeing again now. And we're seeing it, we're going to see it play out through massive, massive monetary expansion and probably some sort of currency shift, right, in the form of SDRs or central bank currencies or something. They're going to try to do another monetary pivot because they're going to have to knock some zeros and some um, rebalance things in their favor, right? Because they can't just keep doing what they're doing now. Uh, without there being pretty massive hyperinflation probably within the next decade. Yeah, Dylan is awesome. I'm glad you got him on last week. Um, I, I did start reading. I didn't read the whole thing, but uh, yet I'm planning on it. Um, I, I love Dylan's writings. I'm going to get him on uh, what Bitcoin did with Greg Foss to discuss his article, The Long-Term Debt Cycle. Um, and I'm now, I just saw that this morning, uh, this this article that uh, about implicit debt default. And I might roll that into the conversation because it seems really interesting. But what stuck out about that particular article that he he highlighted was Janet yelling, coming on and being like, uh, we're not going to default. It's like, we're not like what the, the U.S. cannot default. I think no, no, no. She's said. like, we're not going to. Oh, she said I cannot. Yeah, because they so. said that before. I but I thought she said, like, we're not going to default. Yeah, but like, she, she said it in a way like it is not happening, people. <laughs> it's It sounds like. Like they're they're like trying to calm the like that we might default, which is that's that's what I'm trying to point out here, which is is pretty, I mean, funny I guess to me, but like also, like worrying in a way that, that mm. she feels the need to say that. Mm. Like um, who is she trying to reassure us or herself? Right. Or yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I think that's the point there. So, and you also wrote that core inflation has already reached 3.8 percent. Uh, so this ties into my lumber it's, thing. Then it's transitory. What are you doing well, yes. about it? So uh, on that, Colin, I wanted to, I, I did some, uh, I did a little bit of, uh, I, I got this lumber, you threw a lumber chart in our, in our Discord yeah, and, the other day. And I posted this because you can see that commodities, well, like lumber in particular, which was one of the most, which spiked the most. And my guess is just because, right, like when all these people got all these stimulus money, um, What's something that you need to do? Well, I've been wanting to build that deck in the backyard for a long time, or the kids have always wanted that tree house, or we never got that fence that we wanted. You know, coupled with all of the supply chain squeezes from the nonsense, uh, and the price of lumber like shot way, 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 way up, uh, and now we're seeing it overcorrect a little bit, uh, and it's just the way prices work in market economies. Uh, but right. I expect to continue to see this to move up and to the right with the majority of commodities. I agree, and I just I, I I wanted to try to put a little clarity on this chart. So this is a this is a five year lumber chart, right? Um, and I, I I actually I did a little bit of TA, just kind of like we did on the the mempool stuff. So you can see that first arrow there that I didn't label. That was around the time when the Fed started tapering, um, and you know eventually, like a little bit later, we saw the the kind of the repo market blow up in uh, 2018, 2019. Um, so it looked like there was like a mini bubble within a within a housing bubble there. But I, then I, 
this dotted line I tried to draw here uh, is kind of like, uh, you know, I'm just sussing out, like, bear with me here, folks. It's kind of a long-term trend on lumber prices. So, you know, given less mon monetary manipulation, crazy COVID shit happening, that's approximately what I'm, you know, inferring that or implying that there would be like this trend in prices. Deflation, so then, then inflation. Well, that's what we're seeing kind of, you know, it percolate outside of this trend line. Mm -hmm. So obviously you see the COVID arrow and then it drops because people stop building houses, people stop buying houses. Uh, and then you start to get to see these huge spikes. So what you had kind of put in the discord, I'm not trying to say you did anything wrong here, but you said that we are seeing that price correct at the very end here, that giant spike is coming down. Part of this is probably a speculative mania on top of, um, you know, this, this demand shift that we saw. But what, what my point here is that we're seeing higher lows, right? So that like the transitory, and this is the, this is the thing I've been kind of trying to say over and over again that Lynn Alden was pointed out a few weeks ago, uh, is that the transitory part is only um, the rate of change, okay? The, the prices aren't gonna come back to the trend line. Um, it, it's, it's the, the, we've already gone beyond the trend line. That's where the inflation really is. That's right. where like price inflation, CPI inflation, that's where it comes from these, these trend, the differences from the trend. Right. And we're also seeing crazy shit on top of that. Right. I don't know. I just, well, and it's worth pointing out <clears throat> that when you distort the market economy to the rate by with, with as much monetary influx as we've seen in the last year, this is what happens. You cause extreme distortions in people's ability to calculate value, right? Nor these types of things don't happen, generally speaking, in market economies where you're not influxing huge amounts of money and debt. Um, because, you know, that, that, that deflation event that happened right around COVID, uh, that, that was not, that wouldn't happen in a normal market economy. That happened in, tan like, that happened one because they shut down the global economy right intentionally and then two because of the the debt deflation that had started when the bond yield curve inverted in in 2018 uh and that was just like it was that was just coming it was coming like a freight train right and then they inject all of this liquidity and things just go bonkers and that's just how it goes um and that's what just what they have to do because the volatility of the business cycle is becoming so drastic because of the amount of leverage in the system. The other thing is that when you have those massive, massive price run-ups like we saw there with lumber, um, people do all kinds of crazy things that they wouldn't normally do. I need to build a fence. Lumber is $1,700 a thousand board feet or whatever. Um, I can't afford that, but I really need to build this fence. So I'm going to go buy a, a log splitter, or not a log splitter, what, one of those portable lumber mills take it onto my 15 acre lot and make my own lumber and now that guy is not buying the wood off of the the market you know he's he's building it he's producing it himself or doing something or selling it or you know whatever it doesn't matter he's engaging in all kinds of weird behaviors that he wouldn't normally have done because of how distorted the price is and that causes all of that just uh extremely wonky fluctuation just people are acting differently than they normally would. It's it's affecting human action and it affects the marginal utility of the commodities. Yep, I couldn't say it better than myself. And then, and then we had Kashkari come in and say, uh, need to build more housing supply to address rising home prices. Like, Did you see yeah. my tweet, my <laughs> response tweet to this? No, I missed that. I like to tweet back at uh, Delta One and 
just tweet back in all caps like hack says and then just like say whatever i'm saying in response to like like i'm some big important person that deserves to be in all caps but i said um hack says we need to switch to a sound monetary standard to deflate the speculative housing bubble and uh something restore the marginal utility of houses or something like that because we don't have a housing shortage we have a speculative housing problem right there's too many there's half the country is speculating on real estate ask just about anybody what the best investment is what's the safest investment and they'll be like oh real estate real estate for sure always real estate it always goes up um we don't have a housing shortage you had BlackRock coming in and buying houses up in the last month or two. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah. And and like there's there's probably tons and tons of houses that are uh, uh, used just simply as speculative interest instruments. People probably don't even live in them because they're a way for people to diversify wealth uh, and and can, can uh, hold their value in this inflationary environment. And they the houses generally they do pretty well with that. And a big part of that is because you know, you can't, they're, they're scarce. You can't produce tons more of them immediately, particularly in any one location. And because of the government uh, availability of cheap credit, you know, like that that's one of the few markets in the United States where the average person has access to artificially cheap credit is in, in real estate. Yeah. But um, it's caused this massive speculative bubble. We don't have a housing shortage. We have a speculative housing bubble problem. Well, we have some. We also have like massive government in, manipulation into like what people are doing for an entire year, and then trying to shut the whole thing off and shut it back on again. And there's, I mean, there's a lot going on there. But I, I, I mean, I guess what I was trying to point out about that Kashkari uh, quote was that it's like it's hilarious because the price going up is what signals the market to build more houses. Like he's, he, he he's like literally stating the obvious it's like we need to build more houses because prices are up it's like yeah that's that's how prices work right like prices are supposed to signal to us what we're supposed to do um right it's like i don't know i'm trying to think of a good like analogy but it's like a doctor looking at a broken arm and being like that that bone is not supposed to be outside of the skin we need to get it back (laughs) inside the skin and it kind of ignoring the fact that the arm is broken you know what i mean it's just like oh I, here's a problem. Uh, there's a symptom of the problem. We need to fix that symptom. You're not looking at the underlying cause. You know, you can build more houses. Like, great, let's build more of those cheap subdivisions that get thrown up, you know, in cookie cutter assembly modes with shit quality materials, shit quality labor. And then, you know, influxes of people come in and buy them because, oh, they're new. And, uh, I have access to this. I can finally buy my first home, and I'm, I can't afford anything better than this shitty little. Uh, I I need to come up with like a name for them, but they're like suburban tenements. They're like, uh, they're they're disgusting. I don't know if you've seen what I'm talking about, but like they come in, those big builders come in and put up like cookie cutter subdivisions, and they're just like basically apartments because they're like teeny tiny little houses. Uh, and they're made out of just like the cheapest materials the builders can find and they chop up these tiny little lots you're talking about like sometimes less than a tenth of an acre lot and they sell it to you like for like they 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 build it and they because they're trying to hit like the lower strata of what people can afford you know in terms of like monthly mortgage payments on a house and that's like their target and then they try to make as much profit as possible out of trying to target that lower income strata it's it's disgusting 
it's disgusting and it's it's here because of the speculative asset bubble in real estate there's also malinvestment on the on the other side of that too um i saw a tweet probably i don't know you probably missed it but it was last week there was um there were some images of like one of these developments that were like supposed to be like castles. Did you see this? They were all ended up being a bunch of half finished like castle houses. Um, that's not surprising. Was, yeah, so it's like what, another one of these giant developments that's like they're all made of ticky tacky. They all look the same, uh, kind of like your small ones, but like they were like they were marketed as being like looking like this cool like kind of castle house McMansion type. Thing. And no one wanted them probably. Well, well, yes, but also like when you zoomed, like that was the market it, that you could see. Like, and then as soon as you zoom out, you can see that there's like literally every single, and they're all right next to each other. They all look exactly the same. They're all just like this disgusting, like actually fake, like, and and they're all ended up being half built, and 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 nobody ended up buying them. So mm. it's like disgusting. Well, it's um, not surprising. <laughs> it's what happens when you turn your 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 living quarters into your money money uh it's it 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 disrupts everything right yeah and you know the other thing too um that's really concerning to me i don't think we talked about like the black rock black rock real estate thing much i don't think you and i hit on that like in previous weeks but um you don't that that's bad for more reasons than just the fact that it stratifies wealth inequality um because obviously like you know, we, we've talked about this many times. The richer you are, the more of your wealth is diversified in assets and the more you benefit from inflation, right? The, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer because the poor have their savings debased because they can only save in a monetary medium and they can't afford these assets. And like the prime assets are the ones that are being bought up by the people that are closest to the money printer, like BlackRock. Um, not being able to own things has a, has a really profound impact on human behavior uh and i'll bring up that book again that i talked about frank dicotter's tragedy of liberation about the chinese communist revolution the same exact thing can happen here in the united states like if if the government or a government subsidiary like blackrock owns all of the land or most of the land and the majority of americans are renters you know you're talking about pretty severe ecological and environmental consequences because people you don't have skin in the game if you don't own the property that you live on you have no reason to want to improve it to want to protect it to want to take care of it because um, you're not going to pass it down to your children and you know that you want and, and uh i've been reading that book that untapped growth recommended uh the unsettling of america and talking about how the the farmers were basically told like you know get big or get out and that happened alongside like this inflationary monetary environment we've been in for the last 50 years uh so like the farmers who already owned all their own land could borrow against that land and continue to use it to expand their business operations and you basically became like you became a really big someone who could finance like a really big operation or you kind of got like pushed out on the margins uh through lots of various different ways and there have been pretty severe ecological consequences because of that like people are no longer interested in living with the land like regenerative farming uh, using sound practices of agriculture like it's more about agribusiness it's about maximizing profit every single quarter regardless of how destructive it is on your property and your ability to sustainably produce food into the future um if you don't think that that's going to happen you know with a nation of renters just expect ecological problems to get worse under that type of paradigm. 
Yeah, it's it's about central top-down control versus decentralized um, human action, right? And it's it's about short-term versus long-term thinking. And, uh, you know, the other thing I think you pointed out here, um, or, or maybe you just alluded to, is the fact that because of these giant swings, because of these um, business cycle things that come from all this distortion of the money supply, um, it, it allows... Uh, the folks that that have access to capital, have access to credit markets, to swoop in and pick stuff up when you know normal people, will, you know, they don't have access to that same credit, and um, it, it it that is stratifying the wealth, but but then it leads to these other problems, and and you're talking about um, supporting asset prices as well. Um, this is the Japanification thing that we talk about a lot, um, where you know the Fed is increasingly like signaling that they're going to be buying more and more assets. Uh, it sounds like they just started saying that they're going to taper some of that stuff now, but we we both know that they they can't really do that long term and support asset yeah, prices. Yeah, it's not happening. Well, so and. All and now this, they're doing it with our houses too. <laughs> right. And all and this is something that like I try to talk about it and I think it goes over people's heads. All of this distorts what's called the marginal utility of value. Uh, marginal utility of value is very simple. So like imagine that you need to open a can, right? Like a can of food. And you don't have a can opener. So you decide to go to the store and get a can opener. Well now you can open all of these cans and like it's so much easier. You've been made, you know, like a hundred times more efficient at getting these cans open now that you have a can opener. Right? So that's an extremely, there's a lot of utility in that can opener for you. Now, what happens if you go to the store and you buy a second can opener? You uh, wouldn't, uh, right? Because what are you no. going to do? Like, you're, There's zero marginal utility in that second can opener. The first one is like 100x efficiency improvement for you. The second one provides you almost no increase in utility. There's, there's zero marginal utility of value or like very small marginal utility of value in that second can opener. The same thing is true of all of these assets that are used as speculative assets in the current economic environment. Real estate. Normally, you go out and buy like a plot of land and like you'd be using that land like in a, in a sound money economy, you'd be using that land for something productive. You'd be living there, you'd be growing food, you'd be improving the property, you'd be redirecting water flow, you'd be doing something to like something productive unless you were just literally just living on it and you didn't care at all, in which case you'd probably see your investment go down in value over time, right? Unless you were actively maintaining it and improving it. Real estate, the real estate bubble artificially manipulates the marginal utility of value of that land. Normally, you'd only be able to maintain 20, 40, 50, maybe like 100 acres, you know, if, if it wasn't your full-time job. As a, as, when people use real estate as a speculative investment because they have to to protect their wealth, well, now instead of this plot of land having being the can opener where okay i have this little bit i don't need more because like what would i do with more i can't maintain more it doesn't improve my lifestyle or my efficiency or my ability to do things well it doesn't matter anymore because the marginal utility of assets is the highest it can be because you need to acquire assets to protect your wealth does that make sense yeah, it's. I mean, what I'm hearing is the subjectivity of value. Uh, it's a really good demonstration of that. And you know that. I mean, the the, the example I always use is like like ribeye. Everyone likes ribeyes, right? So like ribeyes are obviously very valuable. Well, at least Bitcoiners like ribeyes. And so the ribeyes are very valuable. But after like somewhere like around a thousand ribeyes, you're like, man, I don't I don't need more ribeyes. And in fact, they're a detriment to me because I don't have room. I don't have enough freezers for them. 
and uh, so like the the subjectivity of the value of this thing that I actually do like changes over how many I have. And but I like the can over example much better. But trying to extrapolate it out to the the housing market, um, I, I I'm not as articulate as you on this this subject. But uh, I I understand that you're you're saying that they're manipulating the subjectivity of the value of of the real estate in in the first place because of this number go up technology of real estate. Right, that, because the, primary, the value is changing. The primary utility of that land is no longer the productive capabilities of that land. It's the land as a speculative instrument. Right. And that's why, that's like part of the reason, you know, we make the joke like, oh, fiat food, fiat education, fiat science, fiat blah, blah, blah. Like pick your thing, point at something in society and say like, oh, that's fiat, uh, something that's shitty, right? And it's, it's kind of a meme, but it's true, right? Because of the ways that inflationary monetary policy changes human action, changes incentives, uh, changes the rules of the game, changes marginal utility of value of assets. People behave differently than they would under a sound money standard. It's just it, it's just facts. It's it's not just this one thing with the housing market. It's all these things that percolate and, and coalesce into the fiat society, right? Um, it's it's all of these human interactions and these in varying incentives that that kind of uh, all all work together, work against progress because of the distorted uh, incentives and distorted prices. I like the can opener example because I opened canned goods with a Leatherman tool for like a decade of my adult life because <laughs> I was too I'm, cheap to go buy a can opener. I've done it with a chef knife before and it's certainly not as efficient, I can tell you, Colin. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you slip with the chef knife and hit your hands oh, and then yeah, have to go to the hospital, that takes a lot more time, you know, and, right. and money and, and right. stuff. So it's, it's less efficient. I'm, I'm quite sure of that. Uh, okay. Enough about me you know, droning <laughs> on. So, but the, I, I bring up the marginal utility value thing. Rothbard has like a whole chapter on that at the beginning of uh, man economy and state. So it's worth reading. Nice. Should we get into, uh, misadventures of no coiners yeah i would like to make this like a recurring <laughs> section right because i don't want to okay. just blow all of our no coiner load right now because we've got okay. so much ammunition like these guys just keep yes. giving um so today's misadventures of no coiners will be steve hankey mm, did you see his post favorites um yeah didn't he write did he write something he had like a yeah let me see if i can find it yeah, so Steve Hankey, well, he looks for that, uh, the background on this guy. He's basically been made famous by just saying whenever something bad goes on with some country's money supply, oh, well, you guys should just dollarize. Like, that's his his whole thing. And I, I think he gets, a lot, you know, you know, millions of, of, of people listening to him just because that's basically all he's. Well, you should institute a currency board and you should dollarize. And he he loves hating on Bitcoin because he doesn't understand what money really is. Um, so I'm, 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 I didn't get, I didn't read this thing cause I don't, I don't hang on his every word, Colin. Um, yeah, like you do. I, I'm having but... trouble finding it cause <laughs> I don't really keep up with this, but like I saw it because Greg Foss was like just breathing fire all over him. <laughs> let me, let me read you what Greg Foss said. He said, Steve Hankey, you are dangerous to applied math given your chair. It's intellectual laziness at Josh, at Johns Hopkins, a gut course that you teach. Man up, you squid. Domination of lesser developed countries using the USD should not be worth class credit. But basically he wrote he wrote something about... Man, I, I need to find it. Because 
this is a, I'm sorry guys, this is a terrible introduction to the misadventures of no coiners. I don't even have the misadventure readily available. It's a work in progress, Colin. Let me see we'll if I there. go to Steve Hankey. I can't believe I'm doing this. You have to <laughs> go to his actual profile Twitter. and look through his posts. He wrote something about something. So he here here's him opining on El Salvador. This should be fun. El Salvador's president, Nayib Bukele, spreads more Bitcoin disinformation. He claims that the use of Bitcoin is optional. He obviously hasn't read his own law, or if he has, he doesn't plan to enforce it. Article 7 states that Bitcoin must be accepted as payment. Uh-oh. Colin, that's not good. He's he's a he's a tyrannical dictator that Saifedean had a really good point on this. He was like, "Why is this the first time I've ever heard you talk about the uh, ethical problems with any type of forced legal tender. Like, he said, you know, you, you have all this opportunity to talk about this with the dollar. Like, you never point a finger at any of these other legal tender laws. But as soon as it's Bitcoin, like, you throw a fit just because you have all these intellectual hiccups regarding Bitcoin uh, and because you don't understand it. Uh, this is the exact point I made to um, our good friend George Selgin over at the Cato Institute, fabulous uh, institution that Cato Institute, and he he had written his piece about the them you know the law forcing people to, and I said I assume you're going to write 130 other articles about the other fiat regimes around the world they're coercive as well, and 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 listen like I, they have a point okay like yes you you are kind of forcing this on an economy but my point is that like uh, there are you know. 880 other countries that are enforcing all sorts of fiat regimes and at least Bukele comes out and he says you guys have the option you can use use dollars or you can use bitcoin and you can use it however you want to i think that's a fantastic thing it's a good thing for freedom and um, at point of sale strike enables people to hold dollars or bitcoin like whichever one they want they can literally with strike you can literally go back and forth between the two except one receive the other that's that's the beauty of Jack's open system that he's built. Yes, the the TLDR here is Steve Hankey does not understand money, uh, and his only solution to everything is to throw the dollar at it. Um, he is uh, delusional, and the entire Cato Institute is embarrassing. Those guys, those guys are children, and they are they are so just like ivory. They are like the definition of ivory tower intellectuals. And, and they, they produce nothing useful. They say nothing useful. They have no interesting takes. They have no nuance. They don't understand Bitcoin. They don't understand the problems facing society today. And they're, they're stuffy, useless people. Like, they're not even interesting to talk to. It's not even interesting to watch these people, like, debate because they have such huge gaps in their understandings of anything they're talking about that they, they contribute nothing to the conversation. You just listen to the way that he, he structures the way he talks about El Salvador's Bitcoin law will force its banks to become international fi financial pariahs with the law's promise of unlimited conversions from BTC to USD. Banks would be exposed to money laundering and subject to financial action. Has he not heard about like all the stuff with HSBC and um, Deutsche Bank? And like he does realize how much money laundering happens on the traditional banking network already. Like these, they're lying through their teeth. And like the way that it's, it's like they use weasel words and it's like there's no intellectual honesty whatsoever. So sad, sad. <laughs> Fuck off, Steve Hankey. Fuck you. 
All right, his, we'll, we'll, we'll revise the Misadventures of No Coiner section, but I think that this has a promising future. Expand. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's in its early stages, like Bitcoin was, you know, in, in 2010, guys. It, it happens slowly. Yes. We're developing our, our creative flows here. Well, I don't have too much more for today here. Um, let's see. Let's see. Do we have any comments from the... Oh, from the El Salvador community? is airdropping Bitcoin on its people. Did you hear about uh, yes. this? I did hear about this. I listened in Spanish, and I had to go look up some of the stuff in English because he, he speaks quickly for me. <laughs> and I've been advising the Fed to do this for years, man. Yes. I, I've been and, – and, you know, I understand they, they don't take me seriously because I'm just an anonymous clown on Twitter with, like, 10,000 followers. I get it. You know, I understand why Janet Yellen and Ben Bernanke and – uh, Neil Kashkari, why they're not hanging on my every word, but they should be because I'm providing tremendously valuable economic insight to them. I understand things that they don't or things that they're not allowed to say, I'll say, and I don't care. So if you're out there, if you're listening, if you're watching this stream, Janet Yellen, you guys need to print a lot of money, buy up as much Bitcoin as you can and airdrop it on people in the United States. Because well, yeah, that's Colin. how we're... What? It's really interesting because you, you mentioned Janet Yellen and Neil Kashkari. And if, if you kind of combined the two quotes from those two folks, Janet Yellen has said that the government won't default on our debt. And also Neil Kashkari has mentioned that there is an infinite amount of money at the Federal Reserve. So I, I, actually your plan is starting to make a lot of sense, even according to their own claims, right? right. Wouldn't you I, say? I don't see the problem. If there's an infinite amount of money, we might as well give this a shot, right? right. We yeah. might as well try to make every American a whole coiner. We can do it. If yes. we really put our minds to it, we can do it. Um, actually, actually, Colin, there's a slight correction there. There's, so there's 365 million Americans, uh, I believe. So so there's making them all a whole coiner would, would prove mathematically impossible. I don't know what you're talking about. There's anyway. Only, there's only 21. There's only 21. Yeah, no, I, don't, I, don't know what you're, I don't know what you're okay, saying. Okay, well, I, never mind. Uh, so anyway... Uh, but not a big it's interesting, isn't it, that El Salvador is doing this? Uh, I, I guess it's just kind of their idea of sort of giving everyone like a little taste. Like, hey, guys, just try this out, right? Um, and it's not a small amount of money, you know, to for especially for a nation like El Salvador that doesn't have that money, that much money to begin with. Like, because bear in mind, they're not printing this money. This is money that they have borrowed or set aside or get from tax revenue or whatever it is. Um, and they're just going to be taking Bitcoin and airdropping it onto their people. Uh, quite a lot different than just printing a bunch of central bank notes and dropping them into people's uh, bank accounts. I think the big thing that he's trying to get across here, and this is just you know wild ass speculation, I guess, is that he he he's giving them it in Bitcoin, right? So they they're going to receive it. At, he doesn't even know how much Bitcoin they're going to get on that date because he's going to give them $30 USD denominated worth of Bitcoin when they sign up. So it actually will be different for each person, but he wants them to see it in their account and see it change value hmm. so so that they can see that happen. Because you can tell somebody over and over again, but once they see it and it's like the first time you buy Bitcoin and you watch the price go down or up and you're like, that's weird. I thought it was $30 worth. Like, why is it changed? And like, even though you know that the price changes and Bitcoin is very volatile, it's when you see it in your own account that you it's actually going it. up and down. Yes, I think that's what he's trying to instruct his nation. And he's also trying to, you know, put a little carrot there that like once people have Bitcoin 
um, that they, they tend to start learning about it, right? It's like, well, I have this thing now. What is it? What, what, how can I use it? What do I do with it? You know? So I think it's, it's, it's pretty smart. He says he seems like a very smart guy. I've heard him speak in English and Spanish. He seems very intelligent. Yeah. And yeah, I was watching people are trying to like beat up Gladstein right now because they're like, oh, you support this to- terrible dictator who had military in parliament or whatever. I don't, I don't know what they're saying. Um, but they're basically like saying, oh, you know, Gladstein, this is a double standard that you have here because you're supporting this totalitarian dictator uh, making his constituents use Bitcoin. And I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry, actually. Uh, I don't see a guy who's plugging his country into the greatest open sovereign monetary network in history. I don't see that as an authoritarian move because that really only undermines his own ability to manipulate his people I, plugging them directly into this open monetary network you know with uncensorable undebasable un difficult to seize you know monetary assets that that grants them access to the global economy at a digital level and it's self-clearing bearer asset like sorry just not seeing the authoritarianism there i'm not saying bukele is perfect like i'm not saying that he's never done anything that's above that's um, not above reproach. Like, of course, like he's a human being and he's a politician. Politicians tend to do a lot of pretty disgusting things, but uh, it says a lot about these people who are just totally against anything he does and totally against like this whole Bitcoin adoption in El Salvador thing, because it seems like they're just against it because they want to poo-poo absolutely anything or they're like you know because this guy is tainted in some way shape or form we need to be against everything he does it's just there's no logical consistency with these people i certainly have a perspective on this um i got to spend some time doing a kind of a deep dive and learning a little bit about bukele and his history and um i'm actually a little bit disappointed that i didn't get a chance so if, for the folks at home that aren't aware, I do work for Peter McCormick. Peter McCormick obviously interviewed um, uh, President Bukele. And so we were doing a lot of work to try to prepare um, to give Peter some, uh, you know, kinds of, kind of questions he could ask to Bukele. And we were trying to like plan this together because it's, it's an important interview. So we, I spent more time probably preparing for uh, this one than we did for um, any of the other ones. And um one of the you know i looked into this authoritarian thing he did send some troops like literally into parliament and it was to try to um get some legislation essentially passed that they could um, borrow some money from the imf or whatever Uh, my perspective and this is again it's mostly speculation i don't know much about the company or the country um so take this completely with 100 grains of salt it seems like there was a lot of corruption in El Salvador previously. And this guy came in. He is he is a little bit on the right. He's definitely a right right wing, but he also like started his own political party, um, which they like disbanded, and he ended up just getting elected as a as an independent and he had to restart that political party. So it was called New Ideas, Nueva Ideas. And it sounds like he was really trying to come in and kind of like Brazil went through a few years ago. He was trying to get some of this corruption out. He's trying to move this country forward. And um, all that aside, you know, again, lots of grains of salt there. Here's the thing that I was trying to get across to um, my good friend George Selgin over at the Cato Institute is that Bitcoin is this Trojan horse for freedom. And that, yes, even a little bit of um, maybe some coercive tactics of getting Bitcoin into your economy 
I think in the long run will benefit these societies because sound money is a good thing. Um, and you know, all of the problems that it is solving today for folks with remittances and unbanked folks over there. Um, I, I do think that this is just, it's a net good, even if there's a little bit of uh, stuff that makes us squeamish as, as libertarians and such. And, right. Uh, and it's that. like, it's almost like these fucking stupid intellectuals like George Sogan <laughs> And all these people like criticizing Gladstein and stuff like that. Like it's like these fucking people live in a vacuum. Like they, it's like they've literally never opened a history book. They don't see that everything that's ever been done in the name of like politics and and well like geopolitics and economics and it's always nuanced, right? There's never like a good guy and a bad guy and oh the bad guy did something bad so the good guy had to come in and and stop the bad guy. Like it's just ridiculous. It's like this fairy tale. <laughs> version of reality that a lot of these people ascribe to where it's like well they're just like wagging their finger like you know that bukele's up to no good because he's not a good guy we're good guys and we're here to tell you that he's not a good guy and it's just like don't you understand that sometimes that that, that human behavior is just it is based around like incentives and and interests and it's like ben said this is a trojan horse like it makes sense for El Salvador to be adopting Bitcoin right now for a lot of reasons that like a lot of people have talked about. And if you don't get that, you're being intellectually dishonest. And if you don't get how that's good for the people there, regardless of like what he, what Bukele's intentions even are, even if they're just to increase the GDP of the country, if that's all he cares about, that is good for the people. But yeah, freedom comes in the Trojan horse of increasing the GDP of the country. It's kind of like dragging a kid into the lake for his first swim, and maybe he doesn't want to go into the lake, and 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 maybe he ends up not wanting to be in the lake at all. He doesn't like swimming. He just decides he's not going to swim for his whole life, and he had to have this experience. Um, but like in in most of the cases, the kid does like swimming in the lake, and and you kind of dragging him in there and kind of helping him learn that it's not the scariest thing, uh, isn't isn't the end of the world, even if he didn't like doing it, but. Um, I, I, I really do think we need to help drag some more people into the lake of Bitcoin and, and try to learn why it's so important. And uh, I, I think ultimately uh, we're, we're moving in the right direction with this thing. And I, I think he, he really surprised me, Bukele, with the, uh, what he, how he's done this Article 7, Article 8, Article 12, I think are all are very interesting and not something I would have come up with off the top of my head. So very cool. Sweet. You got anything else? I don't Wrap think this so. Up? Yeah. All right. Let's do it. Bye-bye.